welcome to another episode of Bank Statements, FHL Bank Topeka's podcast series. I am Jesse Homerding, and today we are getting reactions about the September Federal Open Market Committee meeting, or the FOMC, with Stephen Townsend and Sarah Harp from our Capital Markets team. Stephen and Sarah, we are so happy to have you guys back on Bank Statements. Very happy to be back, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Me as well. Thanks, Jesse. So we're going to jump right into this because this was a really big meeting with a lot of reactions. So I'm going to start off with you, Stephen. And can you just give us a quick recap of the meeting, if that's possible, and what we might expect for later in 2022? Now we are. We will do our best here. So last week, the FOMC delivered a third consecutive 75 basis point or 0.75% rate hike. This brings a total increase in the Fed funds target rate to 3 to 3.25%, up from 0 to 0.25% to start the year. So short-term interest rates are now 300 basis points higher than they were at the start of 2022, a continuation of the massive pace of increases that we haven't seen in decades. Uh, like July, the actual amount of the increase wasn't much of a surprise to the market. That was pretty well telegraphed and understood. And I don't think the in, that increase itself really caused many of the market issues we're looking at today. So some of the more challenging things that did come out of the, the meeting were changes in the dot plot. So this would be from the release of the Summary of Economic Projections, or SEP, rate forecasts, better known again as the dot plot. Looking ahead at the dot plot, the FOMC is indicating a 75 basis point hike in November. 50 basis points in December and 25 in February of 2023 for a terminal rate of 4.5 to 4.75% in first quarter of 2023. So when we compare those increases to what we saw at the last dot plot that was released after the June FOMC meeting, the median estimates for year in 2022 are 100 basis points higher, 2023 is 83 basis points higher, and 2024 is up 50 basis points all while maintaining the long-term median estimate of 2.5%. So this is certainly a more hawkish stance, showing rates going higher and staying elevated for much longer than expected. Okay, so I'm on TikTok a lot. I saw a lot of video of Jerome Powell talking about the jobs market and that they expect a softening in the labor market. And this got a lot of reactions on TikTok. It was kind of interesting. What does that mean? <laughs> Why does it that seem easier said than done at the moment? Yeah, so I think the good news is, as it relates to the job market today, uh, there aren't really any signs of cracks at this point. I think what Chairman Powell spoke to during that press conference is about expected future softness as a result of higher interest rates for a more extended period. So where we sit today, right, jobless claims remain relatively low and the official unemployment rate is 3.7%. One challenge continues to be though the labor force participation rate and the, the number of folks that are actively participating in the labor economy was at 62.4% last month. So this has generally been improving since March of 2020, but we're still below the 63% level we were generally at from 2014 through mid-2019 and a full percent behind the February of 2020 level. So that balance between unemployment and labor force participation is something that the Fed's going to continue to keep in mind. But again, it's a natural expected consequence of higher interest rates that there could be some softness in the labor markets increasing the unemployment rate. Okay, so I think it's interesting that he said we will see a lot of softening in the jobs market, which I think is, um, you know, alarming to people. But 
Does it make sense that that would be the only market that we're seeing softening in or with these higher rates? Is it going to cause softening in other markets? One other place we're seeing it a little bit, and our members and listeners might be as well, is in some housing data. It's starting to look a little bit weaker and getting weaker sort of by the report that we see. Um, if you look at different metrics, like the days of inventory on the market, it's growing and home prices are starting to fall with uh, the FHFA house price index came out this morning showing a decline of 0.6% month over month. Might not seem like much, but it's actually the largest monthly drop since March of 2011. Also today, the Case-Shiller Index of home prices showed that showed that those housing prices nationally are still 15.8% higher than a year ago, but that's down from 18.1% last month. So that decline of 2.3% month over month is actually the fastest deceleration in the history of that index. So there are many there are many headwinds in the housing market right now. Mortgage rates are well north of 6% like we briefly saw earlier this year, which can cause a lot of downstream issues in terms of affordability, ownership and wealth creation. However, supply remains constrained and underlying demographics still support demand, which should keep prices from outright collapse, just a significant cooling in the appreciation that we've seen over the last couple of years. So we don't have, I don't think, much time to discuss in terrible detail today, but it is something we're keeping an eye on, studying, and we'll be monitoring going forward. I think Stephen summed it up really well, and I, I think it's important for us to remember that with an increase in rates, it's very natural for a housing correction to take place. And we need to focus in on that keyword correction and not crash. One thing that's different now compared to before is the consumers coming off a very strong balance sheet. The consumers coming off of lower debt loads and underwriting standards have been higher now than they were in 2006 and 2007. So while we're talking about a slowing in home price appreciation, um, again, that that's much different than any housing issues than we've seen in the past. Excellent. Yes, I've heard a lot about the housing market. That was definitely one of the top reactions I've seen. So thank you for giving us a little bit more background on that. Okay, so there's been a lot of debate about if the Federal Reserve should have been hiking up rates earlier, or at least been a little bit more aggressive earlier on this year, and maybe even in 2021. But now that they're hiking the rates and will continue to do so until the market levels out, do you have any thoughts about when the rate hikes will slow down? You know, after our last FOMC recap, we did talk about the um, the the communication of the governors after the FOMC meeting, kind of continuing to support the messages they gave. And what we've seen the last couple of days and so far today is continued hawkishness from those governors, uh, implying that there really isn't a lot of slowdown coming unless the data is really dependent or really pointing towards a need to slow those increases. The focus continues to remain on getting inflation back down to their 2% goal at, again, potentially the expense of the labor market. So I think at this point, we are looking not only at that, that dot plot forecast, but also where Fed funds futures are trading and they do show continued increases in short-term interest rates through early 2023 and maintaining those levels pretty consistently uh, out until 2024. Um, I'll add that um, during both the prepared statement of the press conference and also in response to a question, uh, Chair Powell did say, I feel the need, the need for speed. Um, actually, Powell in response said it will become appropriate to slow the pace of rate hikes while we assess how our cumulative policy adjustments are affecting the economy and inflation. I think that statement 
matches up or correlates with the dot plot that Stephen provided for us, basically that we're not going to expect a slowdown or a pause until late 2023 at the earliest at this point. Um, I think it also jives with the FOMC not providing um, rate expectations or ranges like they have in in recent prepared remarks. Absolutely. Okay. So here's another question, Sarah, I'm going to throw this over to you. Uh, We know in the last uh, few months that we've heard about this Inflation Reduction Act that was passed recently. And do you think that that will have any actual impact on what the forecast is for the Federal Reserve rates? Or do you think this will complement what the Fed is trying to achieve there? Right. I think that's a really prudent question, Jesse. I know we've been focused on monetary policy this morning um, in our previous podcast as well, Um, but it is prudent to um, bring up the Inflation Reduction Act um, that was passed shortly after the July FOMC and see if the um, fiscal policy actions that Congress is trying to put in place are going to help. Um, It probably goes without saying that a combination of fiscal and monetary policy actions are ideal to fight inflation head on. Fed officials have been doing their part through monetary policy by bringing short-term rates up 300 basis points year to date. So did Congress hold their own and make moves to address inflation through the Inflation Reduction Act? In the near term, no, it doesn't appear to be. In the long term, potentially, but nothing that'll move the chains. The major points of the act that have the theoretical potential to move the needle in the long term are the minimum corporate taxes, taxes on share repurchases, and the one that's been hitting the headlines, $80 billion increase in IRS funding. Frankly, this act should not have been called the Inflation Reduction Act because it is not projected to have a meaningful effect on inflation in the near term. Unfortunately, politics comes to play and midterms are are coming up and no one wants to run on a platform of higher taxes. So long story short, I think Powell and Company um, and their work through monetary policy is the only game in town that's meaningfully fighting inflation in the near term. Thank you for that, Sarah. Uh, Something else we have seen since this meeting and press conference is the volatility in currencies. um, An example of this is, of course, the British pound tanking in value in the last few days. Uh, Can you guys shed some light at all about the volatility of the currencies going on right now uh, globally, actually? Well, I think one thing that I found kind of beneficial when we do these reaction podcasts is waiting a little bit for the market to digest not only the FOMC, digest the speakers, but let that play out across the broader financial markets. As a result of the Fed hiking more aggressively than they have and and guiding towards uh, higher sustained short-term interest rates, that's pushed other central banks to be more aggressive globally on their own um, short-term interest rates. So one area that that plays into is the currency markets. And currencies and fixed income are inextricably linked in terms of how they behave from a market perspective. So appreciation in the U.S. dollar, for example, to a point is good for the U.S., but that is a that can harm other global economies in terms of their competitiveness in in that global economy. So you mentioned that the Great British Pound. Uh, we can talk a little about the yen or the euro, but we're seeing multi-decade or all-time lows in these exchange rates, which does have knock-on effects in fixed income. So 
I'll be the first to tell you, Sarah and I are not the experts in these markets, but when it comes to their impacts, we could see things like more foreign selling of U.S. treasuries and other market interventions by other central banks to support their domestic currency, something the Bank of Japan already did last week. So this is an area to continue to watch and we'll keep monitoring it as it, as it could continue to have a significant impact on global fixed income markets. You know, one more step to go past there would be understanding the holders of U.S. debt. If you look at the foreign ownership, it's pretty high in terms of treasury debt that's been issued over time. And so if there is any selling pressure from outside the U.S. in terms of supporting those different currencies, that can increase U.S. interest rates. There's a lack of buyer that, that there's a buyer that leaves from that market naturally. Now, what's challenging one more step beyond that is the Federal Reserve is also decreasing the size of its balance sheet each month, letting treasuries it owns mature and roll off. So there's a potential for a pretty significant significant increase in the size of treasuries available in the market to buy without quite as many buyers behind it. So something else we're looking at, what could lead to greater increases in interest rates domestically? Wow. Yeah, I bet we could do a podcast just on currencies globally. That's that's really interesting and something I don't know that a lot of us consider. Um, so, so far, you guys, we have taken a look at uh, the FOMC meeting from a high level and discussing the Fed statements, what the Fed statements may mean for our economy right now and in the future and what is actually happening globally with currencies. So let's bring it back to our region and to our members. Uh, what do the results of the FOMC meeting mean for community financial institutions just in our region? Uh, what are steps that they may be considering at this point? One thing we've talked about, right, is the rhetoric from all the Fed speakers continues to match the hawkish tone set in the dot plot. Rates going higher than previously expected and staying there for longer than expected. With interest rates rising so fast, many of our members are probably seeing net interest margin expansion. Many banks are naturally asset sensitive. But one thing our sales, lending, and member solutions areas are spending a lot of time on right now is helping members analyze their marginal cost of funds. In the macro data, we're seeing some pretty significant decreases in deposit balances at the largest banks. Now, many of our members might not yet be seeing that, but it is something to keep a close eye on. So managing deposit rates in this environment is crucial to the core success of our members. So reach out to us. It's the kind of thing we love helping members work through. I think that's all the time we have for today's episode. Thank you both so much for giving our listeners a quick and dirty recap of this FOMC and things to consider for the future. Hopefully our next FOMC reaction podcast is a little bit lighter, especially since it'll be coming up on the end of the year. So thanks again, guys. And to our listeners, we will see you next time. Thank you, Jesse. Bank Statements Podcast is brought to you by the Federal Home Loan Bank of Topeka and our members, the community financial institutions in Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, and Oklahoma. To learn more about our cooperative and get the most out of your membership, reach out to your regional account manager or our friendly lending staff at 800-809-2733.